Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley. And my name is Rich Sweet. This is the 396th show of ROI. And our guest for today's show is Dr. Andreen Mayer, Research Scholar of the Classics Department at Stanford University, who's going to talk with us about her book, The Amazons, Lives and Legends of Warrior Women Across the Ancient World. The history buff for today's show is Ed Broders. The show's theme song is Kayla's Theme, written and performed by Mark Zappadal. Our producer and engineer, as always, is Dave Baker. This is the opening segment of the show, which is referred to as Baruch Danarin. And today we're going to be talking about the Amazons, Lives and Legends of Warrior Women Across the Ancient World, by Dr. Adrian Mayer, Research Scholar of the Classics Department at Stanford University. Welcome to our show, Dr. Mayer. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, Do you mind if we call you your first name? Adrian is fine. Adrian, we appreciate it. Can you give us a little background on the conception, or maybe a better term is the perception of the Amazon women in our modern world? Well, in our modern world, we do seem to be uh, we seem to be having an Amazon moment. Um, <laughs> Amazons just seem to be just everywhere these days. They started maybe started with Xena. Warrior Princess, and then there was the uh, animated film Mulan, uh, and then there was a live action Disney Mulan. Uh, we've got uh, the Vikings uh, series. There was a young swordswoman in the Game of Thrones, and then of course the two Wonder Woman films coming out, and also uh, girls and women around the globe are taking up bows and arrows, and they're they're learning boxing and fencing and wrestling and falconry. And there's some who are practicing archery on horseback. Um, so I think uh, it, it seems like uh, Amazons are really uh, bursting into popular consciousness right now. And Green, there's a there's a misconception though. In reality, from what you you've uh, you and your colleagues have uh, unearthed, particularly in uh, uh, in uh, Russia, that. Uh, uh, Amazons weren't as glorious with the breastplates and all that that we see on TV. And you made you made a comment in your book that uh, these women lived in an unforgiving environment that uh, everybody had to basically pull their own weight. So, who were the real Amazons, uh, from what your archaeological information shows? Right. Well, in Greek mythology, the Amazons were fierce warrior women of exotic eastern lands around the Black Sea. And um, we now know, thanks to archaeology, as you mentioned, that uh, there really were warrior women in nomad steppe groups uh, around the Black Sea that stretched all the way to the Great Wall of China. And among these, uh, among these steppe nomads, they had a kind of egalitarian lifestyle, but that made perfect sense in their nomadic culture, it, it it kind of freaked the Greeks out when they heard about <laughs> women riding to war uh, alongside the men and learning how to ride and shoot bows and arrows and handle battle axes and swords uh, on horseback from early age. But um, that egalitarian lifestyle 
was logical for a nomadic culture. If you think about a small group on the harsh steppes, they're always on the move. Um, it's, a, it's a really unforgiving landscape, as you mentioned. They're facing constant threat from enemies. Uh, it just makes sense that everyone, male and female, young and old, everyone's a stakeholder, and everyone's expected to take part in defense and raids. So natural, necessary to teach boys and girls the same skills, same horse riding, hunting, and fighting skills. And everybody dressed alike. Um, that's another thing that really freaked out the Greeks. They like to know the difference between male and females. Uh, but every member of the tribe wore the same tunics and trousers because they were riding horses, and they could all shoot bows and arrows. And you could say that um, these people's uh, lives centered on horseback riding and archery, and those are equalizers for women because if you put a girl or a woman on a fast horse and uh, give her a bow, and she's been trained in it just like her brothers, she's going to be just as fast, just as deadly as the men. Okay, so then, because obviously, as you've explained to us, that the warrior women uh, were not exactly just one culture, but um, vast civilizations all across, across Europe, Asia, and Northern Africa, um, I always went uh, studying the classics, although it's kind of different. I always kept in the same mentality. When we would study Sparta and, you know, the, the Spartan demand of um, its citizens, the physical perfection and the drive to be physically superior, I always kind of put what I read of Spartan women, maybe without the horseback riding and the um, archery, but that same kind of grit and determination in the same model as like what I read with the Amazon women. Am I right or am I wrong, or was there a similarity? I think uh, Spartan women um, weren't known for uh, actually going to war alongside the men, but they were taught uh, athletics, and they were they were expected to be physically strong and um, mentally courageous uh, like the men. And there are some stories of... of uh, Spartan women who uh, defended cities and things like that. But um, as you also point out, it wasn't just these, uh, uh, wasn't just uh, Scythian women or women uh, from around the Black Sea that participated in warfare and hunting. Uh, and the Greeks weren't the only people to tell stories about these kind of women. There were exciting stories, as you say, uh, in Egypt, uh, North Africa, uh, Italy, Arabia, Persia, Central Asia, even India and China. Uh, and there, we have now uh, got stories and burials uh, in Mongolia as well, and we now know that there were female Vikings, so they seem to be popping up everywhere. Okay. Now, Andreen, uh, there, there's, uh, I enjoyed reading about how freaked out the Greeks were. Uh, can you, could you address uh, their, uh, what a lot of the stories were uh propaganda, uh, you know, diminishing the Amazons as man-killers, etc., but could you kind of give a thumbnail sketch of how freaked the Greeks were uh, with these uh, Amazons? Well, they were because uh, proper Greek women, uh, the wives and mothers and daughters and sisters of, of proper Greeks, were expected to stay home uh uh, usually indoors or at least out of the public, uh, having indoor life, um, uh, mostly weaving and uh, minding children. So they 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 had the opposite life uh, that that was lived by these um, nomad women who uh, were 
outside uh, um, being very active. And so the, this really uh, freaked out the Greeks. Um, and they, uh, I think they, they had very mixed feelings, both about the mythic Amazons and also mixed feelings about uh, real societies where women could could hunt and go to go to war and choose their own sexual partners and decide whether or not they were going to be uh, participating in in raids and things like that. I think I think the Greeks uh, felt a kind of awe and respect and fear, and they loved these stories. But I think it it um, as I say gave them very mixed feelings, and we can sense that in, in their stories. Is there along those lines what you said? Now the Greeks also, I mean. I think we can all say they definitely throughout the centuries had uh, drowning in chauvinism. Uh, it was very much male dominated. So when you have these stories of other cultures where women are, you know, carrying out roles that they, many people, men thought were not worthy. Are there any uh, writings of not just that, you know, while they were amazed, they were did this, they were doing this, but they were kind of appalled because isn't this kind of contradictory what the Greeks believed for centuries? Yeah, um, uh, classical scholars had long believed that uh, that the Greek male imagination just summoned Amazons into existence so that they could be killed off by Greek heroes. Um, these <laughs> classical scholars, I think one of them even said the only good Amazon is a dead one. Um, wow. I, <laughs> but... Um, they said that Amazons only existed uh, in the myth to be defeated, and that um, and that Amazons couldn't have heroic warrior status. And it's true that Amazons are, in the end of all these stories, these myths, where where we have Theseus or Heracles and Achilles, they all have to prove their valor by fighting a, a very formidable, powerful Amazon warrior queen. And they do always win in the end. But as you say, that's a these are Greek stories. They're nationalistic stories. You're not going to have Greek heroes losing to foreign enemies. Um, but on the other hand, you have to make these Amazons seem strong and noble. And in fact, uh, they're always shown and described as brave and noble and just as courageous and, and skilled in battle as the hero that she's fighting. So the Greek vase paintings show the Amazons uh, fighting and dying courageously, and some of them are even getting the best of the Greek warriors. So combat with an Amazon foe in the, in, in the ancient Greek mind would require a fair match because you wouldn't have any honor um, for the victor if, if, they're, if they're fighting someone who's weaker than they are. They're actually overcoming people who are really strong and formidable, powerful. Good. Well, we, we have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. In times of joy, in moments of grief, broadcasters come through even when all else fails. Today, with more ways than ever to experience the moments that transform our lives, Americans still choose broadcast radio and television more than all other media combined. We are the local broadcasters of radio and television, reaching more people, touching more lives. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. 
the radio show or events of history, or examines the discussion of books, journals, articles, papers, and presentations, and historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley. And my name is Rick Sweet. This is the second segment of the show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today's show is Dr. Andreen Mayer, research scholar in the Classics Department at Stanford University, and we'll be talking about the Amazons, uh, her book, The Amazons, Life and Legends of Warrior Women Across the Ancient World. Our history buff for today's show is Ed Broders. Uh, Ed, you get our first question. All right. Thanks, Rick. Um, Dr. Adrian, um, I'm in the middle of reading a book entitled The History of the Ancient World, and I'm struck by how much archaeologists can discern from uh, really not much physical material. Um, but you mentioned earlier in the show um, that archaeologists have, you know, passed several years or perhaps a couple decades, uh, have learned a lot more about these uh, these these people. Um, and is it from as a nomadic society? They couldn't really heavily have much behind. So how do we know what we know of these people? And that's an excellent question. Uh, the Scythians, the Scythian nomads themselves, had a flourishing culture for oh, uh, uh, almost a millennium from the um, 7th century B.C. up to uh, about the 5th century A.D. They didn't leave any writings of their own. So, as you say, we have to depend on... Um, uh, first, what did other ancient peoples have to say about them, like the Greeks or the uh, Egyptians, or, uh, the Chinese, people like that? And then um, archaeology can give us quite a bit of information. It's interesting that um, the archaeology on the steppes began under the Soviets, I would say, in the late, uh, early 50s, um, and and then continued sporadically uh, and, but archaeologists have their own biases, of course. So when archaeologists uh, excavated graves of the Scythian warriors, um, and so they're coming up with skeletons buried with weapons and horses, and they just assumed that if there were weapons and tools with these skeletons, the skeletons must belong to males. And it wasn't until uh, an archaeologist named Janine Davis Kimball um, who was digging in Kazakhstan, uh, nomad graves from the 5th century B.C., she had a hunch that maybe because of what we heard from Herodotus and the ancient Greeks about these people, wouldn't some of the skeletons be female? And she was the first to apply DNA and bioarchaeology to those skeletons, and sure enough, she found that uh, a number of them were female. And I believe there have been about a thousand, more than a thousand uh, Graves have been um, excavated, and so far, archaeologists have now identified, using DNA, uh, at more than 300 graves of female warriors buried with their weapons and their tools and their, their horses. So the, the, the assumption is based on, on grave goods, uh, masculine or feminine grave goods. It just doesn't apply to the Scythian nomads. Okay. Uh, and uh, Green, there, there's uh, uh, you. There's several pages in your book where talking about specific finds in these graves, 
Uh, and some of these graves are not, uh, they're not altered. There's some pretty extravagant uh, grave goods that uh, archaeologists have uh, pulled out. Could you give a, like a thumbnail sketch of uh, some of the more impressive finds that you're aware of? Oh, yes. Well, the, um, the Scythians uh, had a lot of gold, and the Greeks never knew exactly where they got their gold, but they were fabulously wealthy in gold. So a lot of those Scythian burials uh, contain just vast treasuries of golden artifacts and uh, decorations for horses and uh, and for their own clothing and covers for their quivers, and the quivers were filled with arrows. Um, and we we find weapons uh, like uh, pointed battle axes and swords and spears that are very similar to those shown carried by Amazons in ancient Greek vase paintings. Um, another thing uh, that I want to point out is that bioarchaeologists um, can actually tell a lot about uh, the death or the life, uh, the life and death of of skeletons that they find buried in Scythia. A lot of the skeletons of the female uh, females have battle injuries very similar to those of the male warriors. Some of them have arrows embedded in in bones and skulls. So there are um, slashed ribs and uh, uh, smashed skulls from uh, from the pointed uh, battle axes. Things like that. Some of them are bow-legged from riding horses. Everybody has really bad arthritis. Um, and you can also uh, find evidence of uh, constant long-term use of a bow uh, in, in their fingers and arms. Um, so you can also tell um, if, they re- if they received uh, blows while they were riding or standing on the ground fighting face-to-face. Uh, whether they were in motion when they received a blow, whether they fended it off, whether the whether the injury had begun to heal while they were still alive, um, so you just find all kinds of things, more and more things, uh, come to light now with science uh, about the skeletons that they can find. Okay, uh, just to give you an idea here too, or our listeners' an idea, with Scythia. Could you explain to our listeners, I mean, their empire, although it's nomadic, is quite large. And when you examine how big it is, it seems that you would need to try and control every person possible because, again, they were talking thousands of years ago. Um, When seeing the makeup of this and other civilizations, it kind of makes sense that the women have to partake in the uh, fighting or the protection because, um, I mean, it was definitely a dog-eat-dog world. Absolutely. And and as I said, sometimes it's uh, relatively small groups that are on the move, constantly on the lookout for uh, other hostile tribes, and yet sometimes they come together in alliances, uh, so they're allied with the hostile tribes one year, and then by the next year they're fighting that tribe. Um, sometimes they coalesced into very large confederations and went out and made conquests among their neighbors in in Persia or uh, threatening China. Actually, the Great Wall of China was built to defend China against these uh, nomads of Scythia that were that were threatening China. So um, you're right. It's a it's a real uh, it's a very harsh 
lifestyle. And it just, uh, it's logical and makes sense that every, everyone has to be able to uh, help out, uh, whether it's in hunting or defense or, um, um, or raiding. Good. Um, yeah, um, Dr. Adrian, can you give us a rough idea? I mean, it sounds like these these groups were covering um, quite a bit of territory. Absolutely, um, yes. Can you can you give us a rough idea of you know geographically how big a space did they um, a how much space did they take up? Yeah, it's a vast territory. Uh, Known to the Greeks and Romans as Scythia, that's their sort of their collective term, uh, um, blanket term for this vast territory that stretched from the Black Sea, and and that would be all around the north of the Black Sea, uh, from uh, even Bulgaria and and Romania, across Ukraine, across the uh, Caucasus Mountains, uh, parts of Azerbaijan and Armenia. Um, and then uh, across, uh, I mentioned Ukraine, and then across South Russia and Inner Mongolia, the Tuva Republic, Siberia, and Mongolia itself, and then Central Asia, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, all the way to, as I say, um, the borders of, of China. So this is a vast territory, and it's filled with, uh, populated by, uh, as I say, steppe nomads who whose lives center on uh, horses and archery. Uh, they may have their own uh, languages, their own histories, their, mo- their own uh, cultures and uh, customs, and yet uh, they all are centered on riding and archery, and that's what made them so powerful, whether they were fighting well, alone or in great groups. Do scientists know enough, do archaeologists know enough to... Um, Tell us if, like, if they if they just uh, ransacked a city, did they just kill a lot of people and take what they wanted? Uh, doesn't sound to me like nomads that you would have a lot of use for prisoners. Uh, there are there are some writings from the ancient Greeks that they did t- uh, take uh, some prisoners and made them into slaves, and we also know that they they provided along the uh, shores of the Black Sea, which were colonized by first by the Greeks and then uh, the Romans. They provided a lot of the slaves uh, in ancient Greece, Athens, various other cities of Athens, and for the Romans. The, it was the uh, Scythians who actually sold uh, other Scythians as slaves. So um, not very m- many people realize that, but a lot of the slaves in Rome and Greece came from uh, prisoners of war taken by Scythians. Um, and, and you mentioned the uh, metal goods that were found in the you know, in, in the graves. Yeah. Um, were they? It doesn't strike me these people would be you know silversmiths and goldsmiths by themselves. So what's the story with the metal stuff, metal goods? And that's a very good question that uh, I think has only recently begun to be answered. There must have been some metalsmiths to make the beautiful artifacts that we find in the graves. A lot of them are trade goods. So in some of the Scythian uh, burials, we find Greek vases, uh, a Greek helmet, things like that, that they've taken uh, during um, uh, plunder uh, and 
they certainly traded long distances. They uh, they have been found. Uh, they have found um, Egyptian beads uh, in in Scythian graves in Siberia, for instance, or Chinese silk uh, in the Caucasus. So they they traded traded as well as plundered. Um, Recently, I attended a lecture by archaeologists who had found some settlements, which was unusual for nomad culture. They found some evidence of large settlements where metalworking had been had been done. So I think that possibly they had uh, a few settlements where people uh, who were skilled at making weapons and artifacts uh, gathered together and lived. Andrea and I may have read your book, uh, the section of your book wrong, but there is an uh, indication that the uh, Scythians and the Amazons, in fact, did create, uh, uh, they mined and uh, melted for weaponry and what have you, iron for their iron uh, weapons, which gave them a leg up early on with the Greeks and the Romans. Is, was that, did I misread that section? You didn't misread it, but it's a, um, it's actually uh, it was a, a report by the ancient Greeks that the Amazons uh, and then later the Scythians they were credited with inventing smelting, uh, uh, and so the Greeks credited them with it. We don't really know, although there have been some uh, large areas found just north of the Caucasus uh, that that show some very early uh, iron making. The Scythians also, if you think of their inventions, their ancestors of the Scythians are the first people to domesticate the horse. And that's what gives them their mobility. Um, And then they also invented the composite recurve bow, which is that cupid-shaped bow with the sort of curly ends. And it's a small bow, and it takes years to make, a very uh, skilled thing to make. Um, And then it stores a huge amount of power so that uh, it's really perfect for uh, for horseback archery so so that they they became mounted archers and as i said the, those two those two inventions the horse and the recurve bow archery um, is what equalizes things for women so that you you can uh, you can have anyone learning to shoot uh, that kind of bow and become very skilled on horseback, um, and that that was that was really the hallmark of the Scythian inventions. I think it is customary for us to give our guests the last word on the show. So, Dr. Mayer, why do you think knowing about the myths of warrior women in the ancient world is relevant in today's world? Besides Marvel making jillions of dollars off of it. <laughs> well, you know, one of the most interesting things I found was that. Uh, that of all people, the philosopher Plato uh, talked about Amazons. Thucydides didn't talk about them, neither did Aristotle, but Plato did. And it's interesting, you wouldn't expect him to talk about it, but in the, in the laws and in one of his dialogues, he said that uh, maybe the Greeks should copy the mythic Amazons and the Scythian women and, uh, and uh, take advantage of women's participation in warfare. Uh, otherwise, uh, we would be only developing half of our potential. So it's interesting that, that Plato talks about that. And today, I think that, uh, I don't know, I think there's a, there's a sort of eternal struggle to, 
find balance and harmony between men and women. There's kind of a war of the sexes. Um, and that seems to lie at the heart of all the ancient Amazon tales, too. And it's kind of a timeless universal tension. Um, but I think the myths and then the realities of Amazons and Amazon women, they sort of give us um, romantic, thrilling stories of men and women who uh, went to war as equals. And it points to a possibility of an egalitarian uh, relationship. And I think if it happened once uh, in some place and time in antiquity, it can happen again. And I think that's inspiring for uh, for people today. I certainly hope so, though. They went a thousand years almost uh, as equals. We can do that, too. Well, <laughs> when we come back, we'll wrap things up. So please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes our 396th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zatzel. My name is John Keeley. And my name is Rick Sweet. We would like to thank our guest, Dr. Andreen Mayer, research scholar in the classics department at Stanford University, who talked with us about her book, The Amazon's Lives and Legends of Warrior Women Across the Ancient World. The history buff for today's show was Ed Broder's. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pulanala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. Good night.